put onto mute for some reason. That should be better. Thank you. Reading from Proverbs chapter 30, before we get into the meat of the shorter catechism. Proverbs chapter 30 and reading from verse 7. Proverbs chapter 30 and reading from verse 7. And verse 15 is really the text that we will uh, be referring to. Chapter 30 of Proverbs, verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say... Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Accuse not a servant unto his master, lest he curse thee and thou be found guilty. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And in verse 15, which concludes with verse 16, the horse leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. The grave and the barren womb the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith it, it saith not, it is enough. Amen. And so we're coming to question 81 of the Shorter Catechism uh, this morning. This is the last uh, question that treats directly of the Ten Commandments, as we've been working our way through them. So question 81 poses this question. What is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? What is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? And the answer given is the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. What is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Last time when we were looking at the, the positive side, what is required in the, in the Tenth Commandment, I gave the title uh, to uh, that teaching as Contentment is Godliness. And here we're seeing the exact opposite in many ways, and so I've entitled this, Discontentment is Godlessness. Discontentment is Godlessness. And as we uh, follow the answer of of question 81 of the Shorter Catechism, we see there are three main points that spring out. Uh, Firstly, we see that greed is at its heart. When we're considering covetousness, greed is is at its heart. And there is so much more that could be said upon this, but I'm limiting myself to the answer itself. We could go into the realm of idolatry, which is referred to in the Bible. is linked with greed and covetousness a number of times. 
But let's just examine what it says here. Forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate. Yes, greed is at the heart of covetousness. And what is greed? Well, I think we all know to some degree what greed is. A, a definition is an, greed is an excessive and crooked desire after those worldly goods that we do not have. And that excessive, that crooked desire, that perverted uh, longing uh, for things that aren't ours um, can lead to much sin, can lead uh, such avarice, such, such grasping greed, uh, can lead to, to murder. We know that is the case. The first chapter of Proverbs says so. Uh, Proverbs 1 and verse 19, So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. And not only is there a grasping after the possessions that belong to somebody else, or even the status that somebody else has, but it is also a direct contradiction towards God, where there is greed, where there is avarice. Because God, in his wise providence, has determined not to give us certain things, and we're not to have those certain things, especially by obtaining them unlawfully. The Lord would give us the opportunity to work hard, to save hard, and give us the opportunity to possess that which we uh, would like, which we, we would consider uh, an addition to our life or an addition to our career or whatever it might be. And that is, a, of course, a, when it's not driven by greed, but driven by a desire for improvement and of family or of or of the business, or whatever it might be. That, that's, that's good and fine, but this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a covetous greed to obtain that which God has not given to us. Psalm 75 uh, mentions this, Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. So understanding that God's providence is a sovereign providence, providence over all these matters and that we are to seek the Lord in obtaining things that we desire uh, and seeking God's way to obtain them, to be diligent and hardworking. And as the Lord is pleased to bless that work then, we may obtain, which is a very different process, a very different motivation uh, than greed, than covetousness, than avarice, and all these other uh, words. And covetousness itself, how is it noticed in the heart? How is it perceived in the world? Well, it is betrayed by a good phrase, an insatiable thirst. It is a thirst, a desire which cannot be satisfied. Hence we read Proverbs 30 and verse 15. Uh, speaking of, of a desire that is never satisfied, it's never enough. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. Again, the idea that the, uh, the, the daughters of the horse leech are covetous. They're demanding, but they demand, and maybe they're given, but they are never satisfied. And then we have those four examples of things that are never satisfied. So is covetousness. So is that sinful desire and longing after possessions, after status, after things that belong to somebody else, but you would seek to obtain it. A sinful thirst. 
a thirst that's never satisfied. And not only is it an insatiable thirst after worldly gain, because you desire to be wealthier, you desire to have more trust in gold than you do in God, but specifically we can say it is a desire to obtain that which is already in the position, possession of somebody else. So not just this more abstract, I want it, and, it's, and I'm going to get it because that thirst is within me, and I cannot ignore it, I cannot master it, but quite often the case that it is the possession of somebody else, and you still want it, you still desire that thing. You're not examining what somebody else uh, has and think, yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good pickup, that's a, that's a good tool, that's a, that's a good uh, whatever it might be. And you think, well, I'll work hard to obtain something similar because I think that would be good for me. No, this is the insatiable thirst to desire to obtain that which is already in possession of another. Last week we looked at the example of Ahab and Naboth and Naboth's uh, vineyard. And, and looking at another verse, before the one we read last week, in 1 Kings 21 and verse 2, we see that Ahab speaks to Naboth and he says, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give it thee for it, for it and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And so we see Naboth here having this insatiable thirst, this uncontrollable covetousness to obtain that vineyard. And he goes and he's prepared to give an excessive amount of money, to give a better vineyard in exchange. He must have that vineyard. He must have it to possess that which is coveted after. You see, therefore, how uncontrollable it is. It's not that he can go there and he said, I'd like to have it. Would you sell it? No. Well, that's fine. Then I'll look for another one. It, it, it is an insatiable thirst that, that King Ahab has, and it, and it must be satisfied. And as we looked at last week, uh, via lies, uh, deceit, and murder, he did finally obtain it, but still illegally. It was never his rightful possession. So we see that insatiable thirst after gain, even if it belongs to somebody else. We see, therefore, then, that greed is at the very heart of covetousness. But we see also, as we continue looking at the answer that the Westminster Divines give us in the Shorter Catechism, uh, that it's, it is spite is its companion. Spite is its companion. Oh, let me read that answer to you once again. The Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor. So what exactly is this envying, this, this grieving at the good of our neighbor then? It is a fretting. It is grudging. It is begrudging someone else's prosperous circumstances, that the desire uh, not only do you desire somebody else's good, but linked with that is you're envious of somebody else's good. And that's what the enemies of God's people were like when Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem and he had various letters 
uh, to the local governors and to, the, and, and, and to various others um, when it came to the rebuilding project that he was then put in charge of by King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah 2 and verse 10 give us a prime example of this envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor. It reads, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, heard of Nehemiah arriving with these letters with the, God, with the king's blessing, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Grief. When you think of the word grief, we of course think of deep sadness at the loss of someone we love. That's how we usually experience grief, and it, it has its place because love has bound us to somebody, and when that person is taken away, we, we miss them. Uh, that love, as it were, has no direct object to lay upon who is physically there. And even if people go away for a time, uh, there is grief. We, 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 we miss them. And if it's for a longer period, yes, that grief can be great. You can pine after somebody. You can, that grief can, can turn into a great pain of the soul. But here we have a grief that is a covetous grief. A, a, a grief that's experienced when someone has gained something and we are not happy for them, we begrudge them for it. And then consider some examples of what that might be or different areas of, of this begrudging. This grieving is aimed not only at someone who obtains a possession that we don't have or they, we would like, say a car, a house, or land, but also someone that has an improvement in their situation. They have a pay rise, they have a better job, they have a promotion, they've passed a degree, obtained a degree at university, whatever type of degree that might be. Or even that someone has a status in life that you wish to have, that somebody who's been taken up from the ranks and has become a manager uh, at work or they've, in a political sphere, they've become an MLA, or in ecclesiastical bounds, they've obtained a church office. There is something that somebody has that you do not have, and it causes a sinful grief. And that type of grief, not the grief for somebody who's passed on, a grief for somebody you miss, but a grief for against the, the things, the people, it's against the people. The people that have obtained something that you have not obtained, that you would like to obtain, but you begrudge them for it, and it causes a, a grief within. That grief reveals the true corruptedness of covetousness, a desire to possess and a desire to dispossess. Two sides of that covetous coin, a desire to possess what the Lord has not yet given you, and a desire to dispossess others of what the Lord has given them. You don't have it, and you don't want them to have it. We recognize the nature of spite in that. If, you, if I can't have it, you won't ha can't have it. It's like the two, <clears throat> uh, the two, um, the two whores that were brought before uh, King Solomon, and the whole question of the baby. 
and there was one baby that was brought and they both had babies on the same night and then one night one baby died as she rolled the mother rolled upon it apparently and then the other baby was stolen that's the that's the story that's brought before the king solomon but in his god-given wisdom he was able to adjudge a right and so he declared well cut the baby in two give one half to one and one half to the other and then we see by the by the false claimant uh, the woman whose baby had already died and she had stolen this living baby, we see exactly this, this spite. We see this, this sin uh, of, cover, of covetousness that does not have a living child and would gladly rob the living child of its life to spite her, so we could say, sister in crime. It was a wickedness. You don't have it, and you don't want them to have it. it. It's the sin of Absalom as well. Absalom did not have a kingdom, but his father did. And so he would obtain a kingdom. He would obtain favor. He would obtain rule. But at the same time, you would dispossess somebody of it. If you're, you're going to take something that belongs to somebody else, then of course you're dispossessing them of having it. It's the sin of the Marxist mentality against anybody that has done well in life by hard and diligent work. They don't want to put in the work, but they will steal the fruits of your work and take away your life in the process. And so many millions have suffered that in the 20th century uh, with the rise of various socialist and communist states in the world. Psalm 112, verses 9 and 10 speak of this matter it says he hath dispersed he hath given to the poor his righteousness endureth forever his horn shall be exalted with honor the wicked shall see it and be grieved he shall gnash with his teeth and melt away the desire of the wicked shall perish this this envy this this Wicked, envious, covetousness is described by the scriptures as, a, as an actual wasting disease. Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. So does that point to the fact that everyone who is filled with envy, who is driven by this insatiable covetous thirst, that they will develop a bone sickness? Maybe it does say something to that. Uh, but I think what, it's, what is certain and what it really says is that envy is a deep rottenness that emanates from the very core of the person, the very, the very center of the flesh. It doesn't really use the word heart, but he's talking about the bones. What is at the center of flesh? This, the corruptness of man. It is this envy. It's in the very bones of the person. And we do understand when we have such sinful desires, especially such insatiable, well, all sin is insatiable. But we understand that envy can consume a person. It can consume them physically, it can consume them emotionally, it consumes them spiritually, that is so true. And the Apostle James describes it. In James 3, verse 16, he says, For where envying and strife is, 
There is confusion and every evil work. Again, as we mentioned last week, how foundational covetousness is to the breaking of all the commandments. And essentially, that's what James says there. Where there is envying and strife, there is confusion and every evil work. It goes forth. If, if covetousness is at the heart of something, then it, it brings forth much, much evil. And so therefore the source of the covetousness that we must notice in our own hearts, that we observe in people's lives, is to be found in the very, in the very core of who we are. Even, even, in the, even in the heart of those that are born again, there is much uh, corruptedness still within as Paul teaches us in Romans 7. It is to be found in the very heart of man, in the very core, in the very bones of who we are. It's there. And therefore it's not to be excited, it's not to be given oxygen, it's not to be fed, but it is by, by prayer, by seeking the strength of Christ, to be fought against, to be mortified. Because as I said, it's, if this back door swings wide open, then what wickedness will be found uh, therein? So greed is at the heart of covetousness. Secondly, then, spite is its companion. And thirdly, related to that last remark I made, lust is its power. Lust is its power. So the tenth commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all, this is the point now, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. So that word inordinate, that, that, that pairs itself, that describes both words, motions and, and affections. So inordinate motions, inordinate affections. Inordinate's not a word that we use regularly. What does it mean? It means excessive Excessive motions, excessive affections. Another translation of that word or another meaning is it's disproportionate. It's out of all proportion to what is the matter at hand. Another, another way of understanding inordinate is that it's unreasonable. So bringing those together, there's an unreasonable, excessive reaction out of all proportion uh, to the situation at hand. Inordinate motions, movements, activities, affections, the desires to anything that belong to our neighbor. As I mentioned, not just possessions, physical. It can include uh, benefits and blessings and status in life. Whatever it is they have that we would desire or we begrudge them from having. And the covetousness is to possess and to dispossess. And these inordinate actions, these inordinate emotions, are those things that lie behind the covetousness. They are the things that are within the heart of fallen man. And both aspects are inordinate. Both the actions that are done to fulfill the desire, but also the desire itself that comes up within the first tearings of envy in the soul, shall we say. The very first. Not even when it's been fully, fully formed, as it were, but, but the very first stirrings in the, whole, in the heart, in the soul, 
as well as that actual immoral and unlawful purpose and intention and desire. And they all form within wicked thoughts, wicked desires. How can I fulfill this? It must be fulfilled. I have no control over it. Now, by God's grace, every born-again Christian should be able to have some control. There are, by the power of grace, by the power of the gospel, we are still left uh, very imperfect uh, that we would learn to mortify the deeds of the flesh, that we would learn to strive against those indwelling enemies of God as the people of God entered into the promised land. That land was not deserted of people. They were to go in and they were to fight. They were to fight against the enemies of God in order, in order to take the land as we as Christians must take the heart. We must take the character. We must take the nature and not leave any survivors. And so, as I mentioned, the backdoor aspect the backdoor aspect of the Tenth Commandment. If we give in to these desires, if we have these desires and it leads to those acts, well, let's go from, verse, from, from uh, Commandments 5 to 9, then it leads to dishonor. It can lead to murder or at least hatred within the heart. It can lead to fornication or lust forming in the heart and mind. Theft is clearly linked with covetousness but, and falsehood which is a tool to obtain that which is immoral or illicit for you to obtain. These are all excessive. We can admit this, the idea of murdering someone, the idea of, of, of lying blatantly to their face, face uh, the idea of, of, of fornication and the like. These are excessive. They are excessive in their immorality, in their darkness and in their wickedness. But they've all been primed. They've all been primed, they've all been set in place, they've all been given oxygen by the covetous heart of man. And so when that sinful desire is left unchecked, when it is thought upon, when it's not just that, that, first, that first spark of envy, oh, that is not good in and of itself by any means, but when it has uh, been left unchecked and it's been thought about and it will bring forth, it will bring forth the actual sin. It is an irresistible uh, thing once it's been given room, once it's been given oxygen. Because that's what James writes. Again, we come back to the Apostle James. James 1 and verse 15. He says, Then when lust hath conceived, say lust, here we understand as another word to describe covetousness. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Here we have the imagery of, 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 of conception and pregnancy and birth. And though James, he differentiates between lust and sin, he does not mean that lust in the heart is not sinful until the deed is carried out. That's not what he is saying. He's, they are both clearly sinful. James is merely pointing to the inner conception, then the gestation of that desire in the, in the thoughts and even in the planning until the sin has been carried out, until it's been given birth on the outside, in the world, in the speech, in the deed itself. And we understand the wages of sin is death. So that, that it can sit within and it is even in its 
very first life, as it were. It is a sinful corruption. But if these first motions of covetousness and corruption are not entertained, maybe they come up Christian in your heart and you notice this, it comes up in the heart and you realize it's there and you, according to God's word, according to the conscience that has been sensitized by the Holy Ghost, you immediately curb it, you restrain it, you hold it back, you know, this is not good, what came up in me? Even those very first motions are still prohibited as sinful. It is sin and leads and brings forth sin. Although it be so tiny, and yet, however soon that this corruption has, has uh, appeared, and it is curbed, it is restrained, it is held back, it has arrived in the soul, it has lay, laid its mark in the soul, and what, what sort of mark does sin leave in the soul? Well, it leaves a stain, and it leaves pollution behind it. Of course, it'll be a smaller stain than if it was actually meditated upon and thought upon and planned and done. But it is a stain because covetousness is contrary to holiness. It's contrary to the purity that God would demand and does demand of us again. Coming back to James, the previous verse to what we read, James 1 and verse 14 now. He says it, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That, that, that lust has appeared and it is the very embryo. And it is a, it is a corrupt embryo, it is a, a, a sinful embryo, as, a, as are we all. At conception, we are sinful creatures. It's in us, there is that corruption within us and we are brought forth and and if we are only ever to live having that one physical birthday, then our sins will find us out and we will die in our sin and be destroyed as the corrupt creatures that we are. But every man is tempted, he says, which includes those who are born again. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and is enticed. But who are those that are sensitive to these inordinate motions and, and affections? Who will, would immediately desire to curb it? Would immediately desire to, to snuff out that, that spark of wickedness? Who are those that are humbled by its appearance in the soul? Well, it is none other than those who are regenerate, those who are born again of the Spirit of God. And as the Apostle Paul declares after his conversion... And again, I bring, come back to Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for if I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. In other words, Paul is saying this, I had not known this strong inclination that is in my heart to all matters of sin, all manners of sin, even before it be consented to or deliberately committed unless the Spirit of God had discovered it to me, had opened it to me, had revealed it to me in the precept of the law forbidding it. So there is that powerful, as we said, it's insatiable, it's there, it takes control, it leaves its mark, it leaves its stain in the heart and in the soul of all men 
even in the, even in the heart of the regenerate. And this, this propensity to sin reveals itself in the very first stirrings of it. A powerful, a powerful sin that must be, by God's grace and by the seeking of God's strength, controlled, suppressed, held down, held back. And we could make it a, 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 and say that there is a, a combustible matter in the heart that just needs that spark. As you know yourself, if you've ever started a fire, then you'll just need that right spark and that dry kindling and, and, and the first flames are, are, are licking away at the kindling and you can start a, a large fire even with the first spark of temptation. Doesn't take much. Doesn't take much to lead to covetousness. And that's what we read of in the sinning of, of, of Achan, a man in the time of Joshua the son of Nun. In Joshua 7 and verse 21, he confesses that he, he coveted and he stole. Now that verse, I'll read it for you. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So he, he, he saw it, covetousness rose in his heart, and he fulfilled that covetous desire, and he took them. He, he took that which the Lord had forbidden his people to take. They were to take nothing uh, in the form of spoils, having had this great victory. They were to leave all that which was of a heathen folk, and yet he, he took it. He was undermined by his own desire. And the Lord dealt very righteously and very strictly with him. But what we see there, and as we know in the scriptures, there is very often an example taking place. The first man that breaks the Sabbath in the camp of God, he goes out to pick up twigs uh, to make a fire on the Sabbath. Well, he is stoned to death. He receives the death penalty. Uh, Did everyone uh, ever since obtain the death penalty for breaking the Sabbath? No, but it is the warning. It is that example that is made that we would learn from it, that we would learn not just from the good examples, but we learn from the bad examples because we see the Lord's displeasure upon them and we must take those things to heart and realize because covetousness begins in the very depth of the heart and it is a covetousness that causes us to lust in all sorts of ways that the Lord sees it all. The Lord knew about Achan. He knew that he had disobeyed the command to touch nothing of the enemy. And he knew exactly uh, what was happening and therefore he could be chosen. He could be pointed out. He could be separated. He could be separated from his tribe. He could be separated uh, from his family. He could be separated so that he could be brought before the judgment seat of Christ in the form of Moses here. The Lord knew it all. The Lord knew it all and this man was brought to a confession. And that's what we must admit, that covetousness is an insatiable thirst. And even if we by grace are able to, to control it, to curb it in some way, it is a stain that is left within the heart. But let not the stain increase. Let it not multiply. Let it not get a hold of you so that you would, you would look 
<clears throat> and you would continue to covet it so much so that you would take that which has been forbidden by God. A powerful sin, a powerful fuel, can we say, a fuel. We're talking about fire. We've talked about pregnancy. We talk about fire. It is that spark that will set on fire further desires and lusts to lie, to steal, uh, to fornicate, to dishonor, etc., etc. And it's very hard. It is contrary to God and God's will and God's provision and God's kindness, even to others. So let's conclude then. This is our last question and answer on the Ten Commandments, question 81. What is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? Well, the answer is the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Amen. May the Lord bless uh, this, his word, to our souls. <clears throat> and grant us grace, much grace. Let us pray as we close, please. Our Lord and our God, thou who art holy, thou art righteous, thou art good in all thy ways, thy works, thy word. And yet we come before thee as a sinful children of fallen Adam. Lord, with much corruptedness, with the image of God so deeply marred. And yet those of us who can look unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, who are enabled by grace to know of our sins forgiven, to know of peace with God, of the cleansing of our guilt. And yet we must, like the Apostle Paul, also confess that the flesh is corrupt and it is against God. And that flesh we have still, although our soul be born again, how the soul is against thee. We pray thee, O Lord, that thou would have mercy upon us and help us to learn, help us to understand, help us to see the, the great bear trap that covetousness is, or a little spark that will set alight a world of sin. Lord, help us, we pray. We pray for grace. We pray for help. And we look unto Jesus. We can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. And so let us not try to be Pharisees and do it in our own strength, <clears throat> but obtain it from Christ who is victorious over all sin and death and hell. Lord, hear us, we pray, and bless us in the furtherance of gospel worship on thy Sabbath. For we pray in the name of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.